welcome to Fusion Fast Forward. We're building a bridge between the recent online retailer Fusion event and the in-person online retailer event in July in Sydney in partnership with online retailer Nora Network and Mouth Media Network in New York. I'm Mark Rako. Our guests for this episode, this is great. We get a twofer. Uh, we, as they, uh, I don't know if they say that in Australia, but we certainly say it in America. We get two for the price of one. Uh, we get uh, joining us our John Bird, the CEO of VML Y and R across Australia and New Zealand. It's a marketing and communications company specializing in advertising, digital and social media, sales promotion, direct marketing, and brand identity consulting. And That's anything else it. you want to check in there, Mark. And anything, you, all the boxes. You just yeah, check all right. the boxes and they're there. So uh, welcome, John. And then also Thank joining you. us, yes, also joining us, Shane Lenton, whom I've had the pleasure to interview previously in Sydney at Online Retailer. So it's great to see you again, Shane. He is the Chief Information and Digital Officer at Q Clothing. Uh, and I'm going to call Q Clothing a modern store with a more than 50-year history, predominantly selling modern fashion from London and exclusive prints. Do I have that right, Shane? Yeah, that's a, a pretty good summary. Okay, great. So what I got there is I know actually, Shane, you guys got it together. You're doing your e-commerce. You're doing a great job being modern. But you know, the two of you sort of, to me, represent two two sides of a coin in a way, uh, the e-commerce side and the brick and mortar side. And, and granted you both meet in the middle in certain places, but I think that kind of lays out what our discussion is primarily about in this episode. And that is where the intersection and the partnership, or is it a battle between e-commerce or online retail and brick and mortar and, and how has that been heated up, superheated by a pandemic? And where does that leave us now going forward? So that, my friends, is the theme of the day. So I, I want to lead off with a question that you, either or both of you can, can field as, as a way to start it off. As the, the bell rings right now in, in, the, uh, in the boxing ring or whatever. Uh, I, I would venture to say things have irrevocably or or permanently changed. It will never be like it was in February of 2020 again. The world has awakened to online retail in a way that it hadn't before, out of necessity. And some people will retreat largely to the way that they lived their lives before, with a little bit of online retail a part of the world. Some people have seen the light and are forever changed. And some people are just going to have better tools than they had yesterday because a lot of companies, you know, uh, came to the party uh, because they had to. So the question I have is how can brands that have and retailers that have brick and mortar stores as an important part of their existence, it may have even invested a great deal in those stores recently to up their consumer experience or you know, their, 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 their technological status, how can they make sure that their brick and mortar have value for them while being realistic about where this, 
the you know the the the, the role of e-commerce and online retail has in today's for today's shopper. I might jump in there, Mark. Um, okay. Look, from my side of things, uh, the way I look at it is pre-COVID, there was, um, you know, most established retailers in a multi-channel space were on a journey to, you know, probably rationalise their store footprint anyway. Um, years had gone by where it was almost a badge of honour to open another retail location. Um, and, you know, different economic situations, it was all about scale, growth was measured well, really success was measured on growth, not necessarily profitability. And um, it was a race to open as many stores as you can. And then I think through the GFC and, and other different reasons and, and that shift to online, retailers that were preparing for the future were really starting to reevaluate what the new store f- footprint should look like. Um, in addition to that, what store, the store of the future and even the store of now, what really needs to be. Um, and obviously with COVID hitting, like a lot of things that it did, it accelerated and drove a lot of change in a very short period of time. Um, you know, some people will say five years of change, others will say 10. Uh, for me, at least at least two or three years of change happen pretty quickly. Once we get back to a bit of a post-COVID norm, um, you know, I think we'll see significant shift that stayed, but we will also see a bounce back. So then we talk about you know, in a business, what do these two channels mean? I think first and foremost, um, there's been that journey for retailers to remove channel conflict for a while um, and really be one retail retail business. And there's a lot of challenges there where, you know, physical retail with the emergence of online saw it as as a a challenger and a distraction and potential competition within the business. And I think over the last few years, we've seen the retailers that are doing a good job of really blending those two channels and providing that one consistent experience, you know, whether it's omni-channel or the term that I use uh, being unified commerce, providing that one core platform, doing the heavy lifting and providing, you know, great experience across every touch point and really reinventing what each of those touch points and um, channels, if we want to call them channels, are. Um, So from my perspective, I think having physical retail is a competitive advantage over um, pure plays uh, when they're utilised for the right things. And that's where you're using, you know, you're implementing implementing things like Endless Isle. You're having product that's sitting there on a shop floor or in a warehouse that can sell via any of the touch points, whether that be customer care, where someone calls to inquire about a product, whether it be through a live chat session, whether it be someone walking into a physical location, it's giving that product and that customer the opportunity to buy that product regardless of where they are and the business having the solution in place to fill that from all locations. I think that creates, um, you know, from a margin perspective and, and risk of inventory, uh, it, it reduces some of those risks and it really creates a competitive advantage and it's something at Q that we've been on the journey for for a while uh, and we have executed quite well pre-COVID and it really set us up for, um, you know, business continuity during the COVID period, not having to suddenly try and get product back from all of our locations to a central location. We could still set up, um, we still had those stores running as dark stores um, and we'll talk a little bit more, um, I'm sure, through today's conversation about some of the initiatives we put forward to really um, 
capitalize on that store footprint during those challenging times. But ultimately for us, we've been on a journey to really blend the physical and digital retail worlds together. John, before you jump in on that, I just want to ask you, Shane, how many how many uh, physical stores do you have? So around 220. Yeah, Shane, um, just picking up on what you said, one thing too, I love the fact that you don't use the, the term omnichannel. I hate omnichannel as a, as a term, and I think unified commerce, which is the term you use, is a much better way of, uh, of looking at things and, uh, and, and thinking about a, a framework for, for retail today. Um, in terms of stores, I, I think you know, stores are interesting. I mean, when you think about the whole concept of a store in the first place, a store was a place to store stuff. Um, now, that's dead. I mean, we don't need places to store stuff um, anymore the, the way that we used to from a consumer's point, point of view anyway. And I think if you look at kind of the modern interpretation of what a, uh, of what a store should be, you can look at a few different examples. You know, if you look at a legacy retailer, uh, you know, one of the best in the world, I think, at melding um, online and offline in a way that is relevant to um, shoppers and consumers today is Walmart in the, in the States, who are leveraging their um, enormous store footprint um, to, to the benefit of consumers, particularly from a click and collect point of view, um, grocery pickup in store, the giant vending machines that you can order online, go into the store and then automatically pick things up. Thinking about their stores as um, logistic centres, as, as you said, you know, before as, as much as, you know, a, a regular retail environment, but really trying to leverage the power of their retail footprint and making sure that it works seamlessly um, with online as, uh, as well. And then if you want to look at a, you know, a, a startup, and I agree with you, if you went from a blank sheet of paper these days, I'm sure you wouldn't have 220 stores. <laughs> uh, you know, you would think about your store footprint in a, in a totally different way. So if you look at um, Alibaba in China and the way that they set up their Hama or Fresh Hippo, they, they use both terms, supermarkets, you know, they were able to say, well, if we're starting from a blank sheet of paper, how do we how do we make make this work? And their um, supermarkets are designed to work um, totally app driven and totally at the the benefit of consumers. If you want to um, shop in store on your app, you can. If you're at home and you want to um, order something, well, it's delivered within a three kilometer radius within within 29 minutes. Um, if you want to order something to be to be cooked in store, you, you can you can do that. You're able to interact with the store exactly as you would um, an, an online in, in environment. But they're able to to pick and choose how they roll that storefront out in a way that legacy retailers um, can't. So yeah, I think it's really interesting that the the way the things are going, both from a legacy retailer's point of, point of view, making use of this their physical assets, and new retailers who are able to kind of reinvent things from um, from day one. You know, one of the things that you can't take away from physical retail is one thing it definitely offers, and that is. Uh, the potential for outstanding consumer experience. Yeah. 
uh, the touch, the feel, the smell, the adventure, um, being around people, uh, the destination, um, the, the fact that you can get it right this second. Uh, and, and the other thing about that too is, um, you know, there's a story to be told by the associate, especially in luxury. There's a story to be told. That story can be, here's how great this garment is. It can be, here's how great your life will be with this garment. It can be, here's how great the experience of being a part of our club is. It could be uh, whatever the story is. Uh, you know, here's the sourcing of this garment and what it means to the world. The point is there's always stories to be told. So it seems to me that one of the challenges that online retail has ahead of it is everything that online retail offers dynamically is so exciting, but replicating that in-store experience is a huge challenge, or, or if not replicating it, because even if I can replicate the digital environment of a store and I can have someone, I can hear someone talking to me through my computer or my phone. Um, you know, I can have smell a vision coming through my phone as, you know, the, the, the scent people are always developing new ideas towards that. But it's just not the same. So my question is, how are you thinking about making sure that we can continue to strive to capture a brand's retail story it has to tell in a persuasive way online. So wherever you choose to be, wherever the brand touches a consumer in their consumer journey, it feels the same. I think there's a, there's a few parts to it. It's definitely looking to blend the experience both ways. Um, so it's providing that as much of that in-store experience for the online customer as you can. And conversely, it's providing the, some of those conveniences or information and, you know, whether it be AI recommendation and personalization and, and bringing that into store. So I'll touch on the first piece, which has been um, obviously very important and, and potentially out of necessity through COVID. And that is how to, um, how have brands that I work with um, been able to execute that in-store experience through an online perspective. So Firstly, um, one of the things that we introduced, we had been working on this pre-COVID and that was um, the opportunity for our customers to engage with our staff members, with our stylists in store via a virtual session. So the ability for a customer to make a booking online, provide some information should they choose to about the particular styles they're looking for or whether it's an occasion um, or a particular purpose. Um, and then off the back of that, by requirement, by there being a requirement for the customer to either sign in or sign up, um, then for those existing customers, we were able to provide not only information that they provided during the booking process, but also their purchase history. And on top of that, AI recommendations. So it means that that stylist is having you know, using the technology to have the information on hand pre-session so that they can get ready and prepared, have the right styles available. And then it's also having that two-way visual and um, and vocal conversation with the customer um, and potentially showcase styles that the customer has that they like or of particular interest. The staff members 
got a good curated range of product ready to go sitting on a rack. Um, you know, they've got AirPods or, or earbuds in. They've got a, a smart device um, that is sitting on a tripod and they're having a two-way dialogue and conversation. Um, and I've seen a lot of ex- executions across a lot of verticals in retail to great success. And off the back of that, at Q, we saw that over 60% of those customers um, that did book a session were converting. So over 60%. So we just don't hear of conversion, whether that be in store or online, anywhere near that. And um, even better, those um, transactions were five times normal. So five times the average transaction value um, for those sessions. And that's technology in Australia that we're continuing to use. We've been offering that service globally and had international customers taking that offer up. Um, in addition to that, even in Australia now where there is a level of comfort um, for people to get around, foot traffic's not quite back to back to what it was pre-COVID, but it's not too far off in, in fashion retail. We're now seeing people going back into office towers, albeit not for the full week, they might go in a couple of days a week, which means that those central business districts are getting customers back there. Um, but what we're seeing now is this type of service is becoming the norm. Um, geography challenges, purely convenience, people are starting to choose this offer. Uh, and what we're looking to do then is off the back of that data, is starting to really take it to the next level and we'll be soon launching the opportunity for a customer to connect on a product details page with a stylus in real time, but it's routed to a stylus that toggles their availability as active on a smartwatch. So they're working the shop floor. The last thing you want in those environments is a staff member standing behind the counter, you know, looking at their phone or just standing behind their closet and not working with customers. But in this instance, they're out, they're on the move, they toggle their availability on. Now, our system will route um, that live availability option on the product details page to the relevant stylist who has that product. If there's a stylist not available, it's a dynamic option that just won't be available there. But it means within real time that um, the customer now that's in discovery mode or wanting to know more about the product can get that in-store experience in real time. Uh, We know the bookings have been very successful when they're made in advance, and it's now bridging those two worlds together. Um, And that's from an online perspective. In-store, we're using the same AI recommendations that we use for the stylus. We use that for click and collect upselling. Um, We use that for our staff when they're working with the customer from a clientele perspective. So again, it's really bridging those two channels together and providing the technology in store, the endless aisle capabilities. We've got shoppable screens at queue so the customers can browse the entire range, make a purchase there and then regardless of where the inventory sits in our network. Um, and they're two of the initiatives that we've been working on that have been super successful through COVID. Um, but now with a recent season launch a few weeks ago, uh, we had huge success on previews to our top tier customers and amazing conversions off the back of it. So that sort of thing is here to stay. Uh, and we do see that, like I say, we're working on it pre-COVID. Yes, we did launch um, at the start of COVID and accelerated, but this is the shift and the permanent shift that we see there where people are wanting those in-store immersive experiences, but when it's convenient for them. The two-way interaction is great. Um, 
Shane. I, I love the way you're using that technology. And it is interesting, Mark and Shane, I think that, yeah, the way that we interact with technology, even the way that we're doing it right now, it was really accelerated through COVID. People became comfortable with, you know, Zoom calls and Teams calls and all that, all, all that, um, uh, that kind of thing. And breaking down that wall between, you know, an online experience and an in-store experience, uh, I think in that way is, is really interesting. You know, one thing, and I'm, I'm interested in your comments here too, Shane, you know, the rise of live stream shopping that we've certainly seen around the world, particularly in China, but rising in the US and I guess to come in, in Australia, which helps with storytelling as, as well, where you can have a brand owner explaining the story of the uh, of, of the product and the, the consumer or shopper at home being able to buy off the screen but interact with the uh, with, with that person I think is really interesting are you, are you doing any live stream shopping Shane or have you uh, experimented with that at all um, yeah absolutely so we have one of our brands um, amongst the group is Dion Lee uh, which is a high-end fashion brand with amazing global appeal and excitingly will be opening a store in New York shortly um, but off the back of, I mean, through COVID, even pre-COVID, definitely accelerated through COVID. Uh, we've had those Chinese influences um, in our stores and even at our warehouse um, doing live streaming back. And they're spending tens of thousands of dollars per visit. Um, and there's a lot of them per week. So, um, again, it's, it's having um, those real-time connections, whether it be our staff or even um, partnerships with the business with that broader audience. Uh, we're seeing obviously uh, a lot of the fashion shows and things like that move into virtual. Um, we're seeing a, a big shift to uh, being able to buy direct from the catwalk um, in that sort of, in that virtual and digital sense. So it, it's certainly, the, the consumer behavior was shifting. It's been accelerated to your point, you know, Zoom's the new, hoover of I suppose vacuums um, in the sense it's, it's just so much of a part of everyone's life these days um, that video um, two-way sort of interaction and for us the key thing is you know using the technology throwing in the recommendations you know using that machine learning AI that customer history something the customers provided if, if you've asked them a few questions and then ultimately to be successful, you need to be able to facilitate a payment and an order and that order orchestration during that session. Um, it's all about contextual commerce and making it happen there. And they're things that we've worked very hard on and we've executed um, you know, very well through this period. And it's something that's really set us up for success going forward. There's another um, really a personal example and also uh, an example from uh, from Amazon that I think is really interesting in terms of breaking down that wall and enabling storytelling um, online. In a personal sense, I've got a great little wine store near me. It's a fantastic experiential store. They they import um, great French and and, uh, and and Italian wine. But through COVID, what they did was virtual wine tastings. And so what they do is to ship you out the the, the bottles. You then connect online with the actual winemaker in, in, in a part of Australia. 
plus the plus the store owner online and be guided guided through it. I thought that was a terrific example. You know, I can I can vouch for that kind of experience. I had the opportunity to do a chocolate tasting, the virtual chocolate tasting with a group of people through Zoom, presented by an expert chocolatier who sent out the chocolates to us it was all part of an experience but you know what we got we got acquainted with their brand we got Mm. acquainted with the product we got a new appreciation for chocolate and Mm. we became a customer yeah Um, because i I, exactly so i I just wanted to say i get where you're coming from on that and it's it's a it's um it's an amazing thing to be able to reach out to someone with a story that is mm. connected to the physical product exactly completely away from the e-commerce or physical store yeah. and yet it loops back to one or both the other one i i, I loved um is uh amazon have got a in beta test in the states at the moment a thing called amazon explore and Amazon Explore is like virtual experiences that you can plug into, you know, you can go and visit the Patagonia or whatever um, and have a, uh, a tour guide take you there for 14 bucks or 16 bucks or whatever. But the one I really loved was they're doing one um, in, in Tokyo and they will send you out a, a box um, of experiences in a, a, a local Tokyo shopping district. And then at the appointed time you log on the tour guide will take you around and say, you know, open this box of tea and smell that at that stage and nibble this chocolate or whatever at this stage on, on the tour. And then you can buy from the stores that they take you to along the way. So I think that's another interesting way of, of storytelling, blending the physical and digital and breaking down, you know, what can be a cold experience online. You know, on that note, John, uh, I'm interested how you think about this too, Shane, is, is, now, where is there, we already know that within online retail, there are different ways that you can tell stories. You talked about live stream uh, selling, you, 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 can, you, can, um, you can have videos, you can do online fashion shows, you can, there's a lot of possibilities and more and more coming. We already know about brick and mortar and the ability to do storytelling in, in, in a variety of ways. Um, but, you know, I think one one bit of a frontier there is the physical product itself and the ability to connect the actual static physical product back to storytelling, which, which then ultimately can reconnect someone back to the opportunity to convert them and engage them and plug them back into the e-commerce world. So, for example... Uh, I sell someone pots and pans, uh, sell them kitchenware on the kitchenware is a QR code, specially branded QR code. I scan it. It goes to say an audio story and a famous chef is telling them, thanks for buying, you know, my namesake kitchenware, uh, and cookware. And, um, and, uh, thank you so much. And as a thank you to you, I'm going to talk you through a recipe for you to test drive your new saucepan. Uh, so if you click this button on your phone, you can bring up the recipe, uh, come back to me when you're ready and I'll actually narrate my way through that. Oh, by the way, and here's my point to this. The best way to cook with this is with this special cooking oil that's only available through my shop. If you click here, I'll give you free shipping and you can get it sent to you so that you can take care of that new pot. I've just put that 
product in that person's hand, creating an experience for them in their home after they already bought it, that unboxing experience, and create an opportunity for a new sale and a potential continuing relationship. Where do you think this fits into saying, what can we do next to know oh. that there are so many people who are got their feet in both places? So how do we hit every one of those people? Well, to your point, Mark, I mean, when you talk about, you know, that experience, whether it be home or even in a restaurant and, um, and John touched on it, you know, Yes, if you're at an amazing high-end restaurant with a, with an amazing sommelier and, and getting the experience from them, the, you know, the recommendations and all of that from there, there's generally only only so many tasting notes they can put on a, on a wine list. There's also a certain amount of, I suppose, authenticity or, or trust that someone has, you know, given the explosion of QR codes, and I'm not saying necessarily at a high-end restaurant, but maybe something a little bit more approachable, why shouldn't there be a QR code on there that you click on that actually takes you to a video uh, with the winemaker and gives you an opportunity to, to hear firsthand? Um, and then secondly, um, to your point, let's say you buy the wine, um, having the opportunity to reorder at home because how many times do we go to a restaurant? Maybe not so much at the moment, but um, I love eating out and, and, and also like wine. Uh, but that idea of going to a restaurant, drinking an amazing bottle of wine and then taking photos for later on to try and find it. And obviously there's amazing apps out there now that can, you know, you can scan a label and it can do all that sort of thing, but really build that relationship and, I think off the back of, um, you know, video now, another one's uh, I was chatting to a business owner a few weeks ago who does um, custom clothing, so men's tailoring. Everything's uh, bespoke and um, they've just, you know, recently moved into one of, I suppose, the nicer designer shopping strips in, in Sydney and for them, the conversation I had was around, you know, a lot of this technology already exists now. So for them, why not do a little bit of a Barnabas experience where you don't necessarily try on the clothes that you're going to buy, you don't buy it there and then, but what about them doing and, and expanding their network and, and their customer base or opportunity by providing those fitting experiences or tailoring experiences and pushing that out to a, a nationwide opportunity where they send someone a box that has some blanks in there. It has a nice branded tape um, measure in there with some instructions. They book a, a virtual measuring session and it's a combination of something I've got in front of me. They're talking through it. It would give both the tailor and the customer a level of confidence based on, you know, trying some of these blanks, we'll call them products on, um, but also instructing them and talking them through the measuring process. Um, suddenly it opens up that opportunity to um, be borderless. And I think that's what we're seeing now with, you know, we talked about cross-border um, commerce, but I think borderless is is the opportunity that this blending of the physical and digital worlds creates. That's brilliant, Shane. Yeah, and you know, I love this idea of borderless. I mean, the idea for me to get tailored for an Armani suit from an Armani store in a completely different country, or or that that dress shop in Paris 
that's very popular for tourists, but I'm not planning on going to Paris for a while, but I sure would love another one of those dresses. I can get that tailor to fit me using your example there. That's, that's really an interesting idea because we've gravitated so far to how tech can we make stuff, bringing back in that white glove experience and marrying it with the tech it's interesting that we may have expanded and there's a bit of contraction that becomes the the balancing point. I, I agree. I mean, there's a, a great article I read recently about um, Louis Vuitton um, caravan, let's call it, that's driving around to some of their VIP customers providing a curated, personalized experience, literally pulling it up outside of their house and um, delivering that experience. But Imagine the opportunity of doing that on a global scale where geography doesn't play a role, where you can provide that bespoke one-on-one experience and tailoring uh, through people being in the comfort of their own, you know, own lounge room. And also, I think what's really important in these um, in these types of consultations, even whether we talk about, you know, interior design or furniture, it's about bringing that stylist or that designer or, or you know, whoever it is into your environment as well and having the opportunity in fashion to to go to your wardrobe and walk through what you like and why you like it or you know to bring someone into your lounge and yes there's ar and vr and obviously the scalability of those things outstrips this one-to-one piece that i'm saying but there is an opportunity and if you're able to sell some of the examples that i talked about five times the average transaction value um, within a, a one hour consult um, it starts really making economic sense for businesses to, to do this. And as you say, Mark, tell the story, but in this new hybrid world. Yeah, and I think it's a matter also of just giving customers the choice too. If you want to operate from, from home and go through the experience that you've just d- described, great. If you want to go into store and have a, a more one-on-one experience, terrific. You know, it's, it's, it's all down to giving customers the choice. The other thing I think um, was interesting, Shane, you started talking about was, you know, a lot of this technology has been there for a long time, but it's now actually being uh, utilised and leveraged. Like QR codes, um, pre-COVID, um, Australians never used QR codes, <laughs> but but during the, the COVID environment where you need to check into every place you, place you visit and you scan the QR code, Customers have, have, have got used to it. And the great thing about that is it can unlock all sorts of experiences and, and, and storytelling, you know, that are now available. Alibaba supermarket that I was, that I was talking about be, be, before, you know, you can scan a QR code on any product in store and get to a ridiculous extent the backstory on, on the product. Like you scan a pork chop, you can know... Um, almost what the animal's name was, <laughs> what the, the farmer's name was, the paddock it was grazed in, um, you know, when it was slaughtered, how it was processed, how it was just, you know, all that all that stuff is, is, uh, uh, is available. Um, but, you know, you talk about the borderless, you know, you refer to the borderless. I think that goes to the storytelling too, John. Yeah, it does. So in, in my cookware example, you know, the famous chef Emeril can be talking to me, telling me, 
you know, the story of his, how he got this recipe, whose grandmother used to cook it. And so she would do it X, Y, Z away. And that's, that's the reason that he does it this way is because that's the way she did it and how it made the meat this certain way. And I'm going to talk you through that. Who has access to someone like that? But I feel like they're just talking to me. You know, it's like, I don't know if you're familiar with this in Australia. I don't know if it's connected to you. Are you familiar with, um, the, the platform cameo does does that reach you in Australia right. where you can hire celebrities to oh, yes. send private message to someone, a greeting yes. for like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks yeah. or whatever. It's insane. It's great. And I've used it. I've used the service a number of times. It's, it's fun. But my point is, is the magic of that is, is I now have access to these people. What? And it's that it's borderless. And, and with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of smarts, why not even drop the name in? When you purchase a product, if the retailer's on point, they could inject that name in so it even personalizes the message a little bit further. Can you imagine? I mean, come on. Um, uh, that's great luxury shopping there. Um, I'd like to, uh, I certainly want to make room for any additional points either one of you'd like to make, but I, I would like to touch on one one additional uh, seemingly outside the box topic, but I think it's relevant, and that has to do with sustainability. Um, and where that plays into the new place we're driving in the, the balance between online retail and physical retail, where, if at all, do you think that's part of the conversation? Uh, Look, I think um, from, from my side of things, particularly in Australia, it's been an interesting, I'd say now we're sitting at 24 months, at least 18 to 24 months. So what we saw in January or December and January and into February of 2019 into and 2020 was a horrendous fire season. And I know it's something um, particularly over in you know California that, that the US experiences as well. And we're talking unprecedented, earlier fire seasons before we've earlier than we've ever seen them before and more catastrophic than we've ever seen them and the impact that that's had. Um, I think the movement for sustainability uh, had a lot of momentum pre that. And then, um, and then those bushfires hit and, you know, the global headlines was Australia's on fire. Um, it was, and, and what that did, just particularly if we talk climate change and, and anything around that um, did in a short period of time just to get it front and centre. And it's something, you know, these natural disasters that, you know, obviously there's a lot of information, you know, and from my perspective, you know, climate change is absolutely real. And whichever way someone wants to argue it, there seems to be a lot more of it happening um, now than ever. So we saw a big shift and a big focus but you still had fundamentally there's this, the bulk of the market is still purchasing based on their affordability and, and, and their access. And, and it was almost like sustainability was a luxury. You had your sustainable, sustainable, sustainability warriors, which is one end of the market, small but you know strong and growing. And then you had it was almost like a luxury where you could choose to be sustainable or choose to buy food you know organic food and, and and have that bit more of a your conscious was almost driven by your budget a little bit um, and then we saw the pandemic hit and unfortunately i think whilst everyone was a bit focusing on themselves and their health and spending more time at home and, and looking to grow their own produce in where possible and all the rest of it um we from the 
the number one probably factor became purely health right now and and secondly um and safety probably too money. health safety mm. and money and, mm. and affordability mm. and, and and households ability to survive on those areas so i think we certainly saw a bit of a step back from you know the climate change um sort of front and center every article every front page of every publication digital or otherwise was talking about that it's, it, i think it's taken a little bit of a, a back seat but as um as people have had time to reflect and and particularly here in australia where you know we're probably in, definitely in, in a luxurious position at the moment because of the current state of the pandemic here um everyone it's certainly hot topic it, it, it's something that's been talked about more in the last three months in Australia than it has for the prior 12 months except for around those fires. But from pandemic, we're now all starting to talk about it. I think the circular economy is particularly critical. A business like Q that's uh, a brand of 50 years, there's a hell of a lot of work that's been done around, you know, sustainable fabric business that prides itself on quality and tailoring um, and the fabric used for longevity. Um, I think there's huge awareness out there. I think it's critically important for businesses now, particularly in, if I, it's easy for me to talk about fashion and, and fashion retail, it's where I spend a lot of my time. It's, um, it's front and centre. It's, it's no longer um, something I should consider. It's now becoming um, something I need to consider and, and, and really being part of that brand story. Um, and it's, it's, it's only going to... I think rightfully so and good for everyone it has become more important. Yeah, I agree. I think it's coming at a million miles an hour and um, shown particularly in the area of, of, of fashion. And I agree with you. It kind of got put on pause through, um, through the pan pandemic, but it's, but it's coming back big time. And, you know, major uh, fashion retailers like H&M um, are very concerned with ensuring um, sustainability. You're seeing, uh, you know, more niche brands, but but very powerful brands like Patagonia uh, with their worn wear um, line, which is about, uh, you know, recycled piece, pieces of clothing, which actually tell a story as well because they tell the story of the owner that that had them that's selling selling vintage selling vintage clothing. Um, one one really interesting thing that I that I saw uh, again, and this was was prior to the pandemic. I was judging some e-commerce awards at e-commerce awards at Cannes, and one of the winners was a Scandinavian retailer called Carlings that launched a digital only line um, of clothing. So you could buy a digital piece of fashion have it fitted to your image and then you could use that on social social media um, bit of a gimmick obviously but the point they were making was that we, we don't need uh, more more clothes or a lot of us don't need more clothes we need to think about um, our, our levels of, of consumption and this was a way of kind of underlining um, uh, that fact um, I think packaging is a big area going forward um, Amazon is 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 doing uh, every time they send out a package, they they will ask you, how is the packaging? Can we do anything anything more to reduce the 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 level of packaging? I think that's going to be a big area 
um, in, the, in the future. Um, green technology powering stores is going to be really important. Sustainability in store design. Shane, I, th I think the point that you made is that it was put on pause during the pandemic, but it's going to accelerate now. And in Australia, you know, you started out talking about fires. Well, we've, we've just in New South Wales and Queensland experienced tremendous floods. Um, and that's also, you know, exacerbated by, by climate change. So it's, it's going to be a really important part of retail going forward. And it's an interesting paradigm for um, retailers in general, um, right, whether it be white goods, electronics, particularly fashion, it's where do you balance you know, mm. that line between sales and, um, and I suppose um, doing the right thing but also telling the story around it and actually getting a balance between sustainability and, and sustainable revenue. Well, you know, I, I think I'm reminded about the, the, the story of Kodak where mm -hmm. Kodak, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I believe Kodak was responsible for developing the imaging technology that's really inspired the, the camera that's in like I, iPhones now. Mm. Um, but they decided not to pursue that. And I think they may have sold the licensing or because they, they were all in on, on physical film. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyone that knows about Kodak knows that didn't really work out well for them in the long run. And they, they tried to go digital, but it hasn't worked. And they are a, a shadow of their former selves, very sadly. Uh, I say that because I grew up in Rochester, New York, where Kodak yeah. is located. So I've seen the, the city affected by that, th those decisions. But, you know, what you talk about, Shane, with 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 all due uh, understanding and respect from where you're coming, you know, I, I think about the you, know, you mentioned digital clothing, John. I, I've talked to people in the UK who who are um, know about development of of actual digital fashion that could make its way into Zoom, for example. Mm -hmm. You sure, could rent not? you could rent a piece of fashion for use in your Zoom party, let's say, or your digital event. Uh, and, uh, and you could have an extremely expensive, rare, limited use piece that can only be rented 20 times in the world or something. And you could be one of those people. And it's so molds to you. Look at what they're doing, you know, with deep fakes and stuff like that on people's faces. It's very easy to see how that could ultimately be with a little more advancement applied to and fit to our bodies as, as we're on a call. So businesses that are selling clothing, thinking ahead and saying, will this always be all there is, or is, is there new ways people will think about these products as they think more and more e-commerce? I guess that's a signal to us all, not that this kind of store is endangered or that kind of store or business is endangered, but, to realize it is a moving target and to be thinking ahead of wherever that target is and aiming your business there. And different models too. Like, I mean, the, the digital fashion's interesting. Also um, fashion rentals, interesting too, like rent the wrong way and those, sure. those kind of businesses. Is that something that you've considered at all, Sean? 
Yeah, I mean, just this week it's been announced I've um, joined a peer-to-peer rental business called Designer X. Um, that mm-hmm. are both um, the platform exists both here and and in the US, and currently here in Australia, they have twenty-three thousand active dresses on their platform, and it's very much a peer-to-peer. Uh, rental business and they play a role in that um, look there's certainly there's some technology out there at the moment and there's some really cool startups around that sort of aftermarket and, and how to manage and, and play a role in that and I think as businesses to your point Mark with Kodak um, it's unhealthy to ignore them it's about looking forward and, and understanding what the future will look like you won't always get it right but at least try and keep your your feet in a few doors um just to you know keep an eye on things and when it makes sense it's not always you don't always need to be the the leader but being a fast follower and understanding what the customer wants but ultimately the same point there needs to be a balance we're in business to be in business so it's finding that 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 real happy balance but um like i say i'm a big believer in in the circular economy and um, it's something that's just growing exponentially um, and it will continue, which is great for, uh, I think, the environment and, and long-term sustainability. Uh, yeah, it's a really exciting space. Gents, uh, I have a feeling that if we could all clear our schedules, we could go on for a while and have a, a continuingly great conversation. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, with respect to everyone's schedules, it's probably time for us to close. But I would like to give each of you the opportunity to share any last thought or make any additional points that you you'd hope to have an opportunity to 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 make john do you want me to uh put the onus on you first do you have anything you'd like to add yeah sure i mean i think it is a tremendously exciting time uh for retail both online um and in store and and uh i think it is about uh breaking down the boundaries between online and offline, and as Shane said, breaking down the borders as 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 well, and using our imagination and the emerging technologies in ways that are going to inspire our, our consumers and, and, and shoppers. I think it's the it's the best time to be alive, really. Um, yeah, I mean, just from to reiterate John's perspective, I think. Um, the rate of change is, you know, unprecedented and it will continue to be so. So there's amazing opportunities there. Um, something that we have, have recently launched that I haven't touched on yet, um, and it's a business that I've actually brought to market and we've been running in pilot at Q, and that is a multi-channel wish list. So we've talked a lot about sort of bringing that customer in store, but something that's missing um, that's left on the table at the moment is if we think about it, a good online wish list executed well, the customer adds an item to their wish list. We give them a reminder. We let them know when it's low in stock. We let them know when it's back in stock. We let them know when it goes on sale. But reality is 99% of retailers aren't even doing that from a digital perspective. Uh, the ones that do it well will do social retargeting, banner ads. Um, but from a physical world, we don't generally have those opportunities. We talked today about taking in personalization for click and collect upselling into those virtual sessions for recommendations and, and that sort of thing. But there's a real opportunity that we're looking to capitalize on and, and where it's been a hugely successful pilot with Q and the other brands in the group. And that is 
the ability to have that wish list in store. So that same wish list that exists online, uh, whether it's create a new one if it doesn't exist or um, edit an existing wish list. But if you think about it, you've got someone walking into store that might spend between 10 minutes and, and an hour with one of your staff members. Um, when they leave, you hope that they might have taken a few photos if they're not ready to buy of the product or the price, um, and then they have a look later. Um, but now it's the opportunity, and we're capitalising that to actually add it to a wish list, send them a nice email post a visit to say thanks for visiting Tash today at QVB. QVB, here are the styles, and then notify them when it's on sale, notify them when it's low in stock, notify them a, you know a price drop. It's then been able to use those same interactions through web push, um, you know, browser notifications, social media retargeting, and even more exciting, we take behavioral data from online, we take per purchase history, and we use that in machine learning. What we're not tapping into is the customer's behavior when they don't purchase in store. So these wish lists now create an opportunity, and we're seeing we're talking over 100k a month of attributed sales to those customers that have created the wish list and had it added to in store. Um, and ultimately, you know, the even more exciting is 70% of those transactions are happening back in store. So it's creating a sticky store experience that traditionally we've only done online. So yeah, I think there's huge opportunity to bring digital in-store in the right way, bring the technology in as much as there is to bring the in-store um, to that online feel. Are you using beacon technology or anything to interact with people? Like for example, yeah. when I walk in the store and I have a wish list that exists and I walk in the store and I'm not even thinking about my wish list necessarily. I walk in and it says, Hey, Sheila, good news. This item on your wish list happens to be in this store in stock. Go 100%. check it out. So, yeah, so we've got it in pilot with a few customers. We're not using it Q at the moment because Q doesn't have an app, but we're working on it with a few customers for that exact reason. They're not even visiting a store. They're walking past the store. They're within proximity to the store saying, hey, that item that you're looking at is actually yeah, right. now. Um, go and try it on. <laughs> Almost like someone whistling them. That's it. Hey, Sheila. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, absolutely. That's really fascinating. Well, that's a great place to wind up, I think. Uh, thank you both for, for all of your time and this really great conversation. I really appreciate you kind of sticking with us here. Uh, John Bird, the CEO of VML YNR across Australia and New Zealand. Shane Lenton, Chief Information Digital Officer at Q Clothing. Uh, you guys are awesome. Appreciate the conversation. Uh, how can people uh, connect with you, by the way, if you want to invite them to do that? John? Uh, just drop me an email anytime, john.bird at vmlyr.com. That's a J-O-N, by the way, everybody. That's a J-O-N dot B-I-R-D at vmlyr.com. That's very nice, sir. Thank you. And Shane, how can people connect with you in whatever way? Um, either look me up on LinkedIn, um, Shane Linton, or shoot me an email at shane at unifiedcommerce.com.au. Right, gentlemen, thank you. And are you both going to be at the uh, online retailer live event in July? Wouldn't miss it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, look for them, everybody. That's it for this episode of Fusion Fast Forward. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day.